Welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. A quick note before we begin that this podcast episode is general in nature, does not take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. So, Shani, we're in share month. We're in share month. Which is exciting. Which is not an actual month, as well, we yeah. said in the last podcast. Right. But originally, episode. originally, it's going to be a month, yeah. but yeah. The but, duration is a month. Yes. So, what is share month? Share month, uh, we are doing deep dives on stocks. War stocks, um, because people really enjoyed those episodes. So we've done one on Beyond Meat, and we've done one on Kogan. Kogan, yeah. <laughs> and we are going to, we'll release a couple old episodes like midweek mm-hmm. that are on sort of the foundations of shares. Sounds good. Yeah, so it'll be exciting. All right, so we've got a really interesting company to cover today. Tesla has just about everything you want. We've got an attention-seeking CEO, We've got a company that in some ways is a poster child for decarbonization, but it also is getting kicked out of ESG indexes. We have a story that just isn't just about Tesla, but is also about the commodities that go into the component parts, which is such an interest to many people in Australia. And also, we have a company that features prominently in the portfolios of many former high-flying investors like Kathy Wood from ARK, where her innovation fund has recently crashed back to earth. Yeah, which is an understatement. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, hard to. We should do an episode on that. We should. Yeah, well, we'll we'll tee that one up. Um, there's another interesting thing about today's podcast, though, Shani. If I described a company to you without telling you the name and said we're going to cover a vertically integrated company that manufactures the component parts of their product, builds the product itself, and owns the distribution network, and does all of this at an enormous scale because of the complexity of what they're building and also the size of the product that necessitates building factories all across the globe, including what will be the largest one in the world, what would you say? I would say that's just like a really boring version of celebrity heads, but I would say <laughs> that that sounds like Andrew Carnegie and US Steel or John D. Rockefeller and Standard Oil. Yeah, but of course it isn't. It is a company that many people lump in with the new economy technology companies, but it isn't, of course. It is a company that is an old school manufacturing company that is building a product that was first mass produced in 1913 when Henry Ford rolled out the assembly line for the Model T. And yes, the cars produced by Tesla do incorporate a lot of new technology, but so do all cars these days. And the funny thing is that nobody would consider any other auto manufacturers as tech companies, no matter how many electric vehicles they sell. So a lot to unpack here. Exactly. So let's start with a bit of an overview, because I think a lot of people get caught up in the smoke and mirrors of Tesla and lose focus on what it is. Tesla is a market leader in battery electric vehicles. Their strategy is maintain market leadership as electric vehicles go from a niche auto market as they reach mass adoption. And they are doing this in two ways. First, they are expanding from their original products, which were luxury vehicles, into almost everything else. They've launched or are planning on launching mid-sized cars, crossover SUVs, a light truck, a semi-truck, and a sports car. And while expanding their product line, they're trying to reach cost and function parity with internal combustion engine-powered cars. To do this, they're investing a lot in research and development at 5% of revenue, and they're trying to increase the efficiency of their production through automation and other efficiency and moving upstream into battery production. Their goal is to reduce costs by over 50%. And the amazing thing is that there are some similarities with Ford in the early 1900s. 
Ford used to sell really expensive cars where the goal was to make as much money as possible on a small number of units sold. Tesla started with really expensive cars. But Tesla is trying to do the same thing Ford accomplished with the Model T and the manufacturing efficiency on the assembly line. And the Model T led to a widespread adoption of the automobile as cars finally became affordable enough for the masses. And Tesla is trying to drive mass adoption through cost reduction feature parity, but also by supporting the electric vehicles in general by building a network of fast charging stations across the US, Europe and China. So a bit of an enigma of a company. So let's dive in. Tesla faces a different environment than Henry Ford did. There are already a lot of car manufacturers who are also investing billions in electric vehicles, companies that have up to a century of institutional knowledge in the very complex task of building a car. So unsurprisingly, in an industry with so many established competitors, we need to look at sustainable competitive advantages or moat. Because without a moat, we know that competition will lead to things we don't like as shareholders. Less revenue will flow to the bottom line as profits, Margin will erode because companies will compete on price and spend more on research and development and marketing. Our analyst has given Tesla a narrow economic moat. That means we do think they have a competitive advantage that will hold competition at bay, but we think it's likely to only last for 10 years. This is not as robust of a sustainable competitive advantage as companies that are top moat rating wide economic moat get, and that's 20 years. We talked before about the different moat sources, so we won't repeat that, but we believe that Tesla's moat comes from two of our five sources, intangible assets and cost advantage. So Shani, why don't you walk us through the first moat source and how it applies to Tesla? Well, intangible assets refers to assets a company has that don't show up on the balance sheet. In this case, we're talking about brand, and it's hard to deny that Tesla has built an incredibly powerful brand. Tesla is perceived as as a leading innovator in electric vehicles. And they did this by launching their luxury sedan as the first product and by creating a product that not only blew away other electric vehicles, but also compared really favorably to all cars. Okay, Shani, you always make fun of me for my love of history and how I always talk about it. Well, you love F1. So (laughs) why don't you talk to us a little bit about the details of the car performance? I mean, you're getting into F1 too. I'm I'm trying. I'm trying, but you're way advanced. (laughs) I started watching it when I was a little girl, so I've got a few years on you, mate, which is the only time I can really say that. <laughs> so, Thank you for that. Um, well, mate, Tesla's top-of-the-line car is a Model S played, which goes 0 to 60 in under two seconds and 1,020 horsepower. I'm just going to assume that that's good. It is very good. And by doing this, Tesla generated a ton of publicity, which created strong demand for their cheaper products that they launched. And the interesting thing with Tesla is that they have done this through their innovation and not through marketing. They've chosen to invest a lot of money in research and development, and it's, of course, paying off. What they haven't invested in is marketing. They spend nothing on marketing, in fact. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't have a lot of publicity, and having a really famous and somewhat controversial CEO certainly helps with that. Now, the downside to that is that when you associate a brand with a person, you need to make sure that person stays around as engaged. We'll talk a little bit, uh, talk about this a little later on, but certainly part of the sell-off in the share price recently has been because there is a perception that he is less involved due to everything happening with Twitter. But let's stick to moat. There's a second moat source, and that is cost advantage. So take us through that, Shani. Well, cost advantage is pretty simple. It just means that you have the ability to produce something cheaper than competitors, which gives you all sorts of power. You can sell your product at the same price as someone else and make more money because your profit margin is higher, or you can sell for less than a competitor, which should increase demand. In Tesla's case, they get their cost advantage through scale. 
which is often the case with manufacturing companies. And yes, Tesla is an auto manufacturing company and not a technology company. They've scaled up massively. In 2017, they produced 100,000 cars, but they've raised that to around 900,000 cars a year now. During that same period, the average cost of goods sold or directly attributable expense to building a car dropped from $84,000 to under $37,000. That has raised their gross profit margins from 23% to 30%, which is a really good outcome. And we think these cost advantages will persist as they're focused on driving down the cost to produce batteries. We think the incumbent auto producers who produce less electric vehicles will take years and years to catch up. Let's turn our attention to valuation for a second. We think Tesla shares are currently worth $750 a share. We do this by forecasting forward cash flows and discounting them back to the present day. We've talked about this concept before in our How to Value a Share episode. The discount rate we use is 9%, which represents their weighted average cost of capital. Now, the key input into this is, of course, how many cars they're able to manufacture and sell. And at this point, the problem that Tesla faces is not generating demand, but producing enough cars to keep up with that demand. Our analyst believes that by 2031, Tesla will produce and deliver around 5.4 million cars a year. Now, this is a lot and nearly six times the 936,000 cars they delivered in 2021. So really strong growth. We also think they will continue to drive prices down. We reference that gross margin of around 30% right now. We think that it will grow to 39% by 2031. Gross margin just refers to subtracting the cost it took to produce all their cars from the cost they sold them all for. Tesla is also in the energy storage business, which we think will also be quite strong and will grow at 9% a year for the next 10 years. We also think they'll see some strong growth from their autonomous vehicle ride-sharing business. Morningstar Investor is built for investors by investors. It provides independent research and data on over 40,000 securities, tools to build and maintain an investment portfolio, and investor education resources to support you, regardless of where you are in your investing journey. Explore opportunities with our monthly global best ideas. Explore our ETF model portfolios. Plan better with two years of dividend forecasts for ASX-listed stocks. And stay informed with independent thought leadership. We've built tools to help you construct, monitor, and maintain your portfolio, including our Portfolio Manager, integrated with one of Australia's leading portfolio tracking tools, ShareSite. Morningstar has been empowering investor success for over 35 years. We're passionate about your outcomes and are here every step of the way as you achieve them. Take out a free four-week trial to access our resources. Find the details in the episode notes. So this sounds like a great story, Mark. High growth and increases in margin seems like a screaming buy. Well, not so fast, Shani. So we talked before about how the way a share price will perform in the future is not based on how the company will do on an absolute basis, but how the company will do in comparison to expectations. And expectations are, of course, reflected in the valuation. Problem with Tesla is that these expectations have been sky high. We talked about how our analysts thought they would sell six times more cars in a decade. That is incredible, and especially so because they are the biggest electric vehicle producer in the world right now. You almost never see that type of growth from an industry leader. The problem is that the company came out and said that they're going to sell 20 million cars by 2031. That is a little less than four times what our analyst thinks, which makes it a little less than 24 times what they're currently selling. And those sky-high expectations have been reflected in the valuation level. 
Now it's worth taking a second look at the stock price here for a minute. Our fair value, which is now $750, has grown over the years as Tesla, the company, has performed really well. But the share price went up even more. In 2020, we thought Tesla was 231% overvalued. In 2021, we thought it was 155% overvalued. That was a run-up in the share price, but also the inflection point where we started to see it fall. Over the past six months, Tesla's share price has dropped close to 44%. And that drop has actually taken it below our fair value. On March 25th, it was trading at $628, which makes it around 16% undervalued. Now, this significant drop in the value of the shares has corresponded with the wider sell-off in technology and risk assets that we've talked about on here so much. During this time, we've seen the valuation levels get more reasonable. Price to forward earnings, which is based on the estimate of what the company will make next year, is currently around 55, which is really high on an absolute basis, but well below the five-year average of 136. So many listeners will hear a price to forward earnings of over 55 in bulk. After all, that is way above the market, and we have been going on during this podcast about how high PE ratios are. But anytime you look at a relative valuation technique like a PE, you need to understand that you will and should pay more for great companies. Companies that scale and grow. So maybe this makes it more reasonable. And this is where we need to talk about what Tesla is associated with. So Tesla is obviously growing quickly and it's innovative. So many people intuitively group it with technology companies. But Tesla is not a technology company. It's a manufacturing business. And the reason we love technology as investors is because of how scalable it is. Microsoft had to hire a certain number of people to create a new version of Excel. My favorite of all technology. Exactly. The party animal Shawnee with her Excel, (laughs) right? But the effort of creating Excel doesn't change if 10 people buy it or a billion people buy it. And that's scalability. It's a simplistic example, but technology companies that are able to create software that is widely adopted can make a ton of money because once they've broken even on the development costs, any new units of software they sell is almost pure profit. It just flows to the bottom line. And this is not Tesla. Tesla has to produce each car it sells. And while the cost to produce them has been falling, they still need to build each of those cars. And we talked about the improvements that our analyst predicts will occur to the gross margin at Tesla, as he expects them to grow it to a 39, to 39% in a decade. And that is great and a strong number, but Microsoft clocks in at 68% for a gross margin. Google is at 57%, and Facebook is at a staggering 80%. And I think that demonstrates again the problem with lumping Tesla in as a technology company. Sells a very cool car, a very innovative car, but it is still a car, and it will never have the same attributes as producing software. The other problem you run into with building cars is that the lack of scalability comes into play when you're trying to dramatically expand production. As we said before, Tesla still needs to build a car in order to sell one, which means that they need bigger and more factories in order to grow, and that costs a ton of money. And another reason that people really like technology companies is that they are capital light. To grow, you do need to marginally expand the number of people employed, but you don't need to invest in more manufacturing capabilities and the people to staff them. Tesla currently employs around 100,000 people, and Microsoft employs around 180,000 people. But those 180,000 people supported revenue of $168 billion in 2021. Tesla's 100,000 workers supported $53 billion in revenue in 2021. And there, are the, and there are, of course, these investments in factories. So our analyst thinks that over the next 10 years, Tesla will spend $130 billion in capital expenditures to fund their growth. That is a lot, and that needs to come from somewhere. 
2021, they had operating cash flow of around $11.5 billion a year. So that is either going to eat up a lot of or all of their cash flow, or they're going to have to borrow it or raise it through equity. Neither is great for current shareholders. The last thing we will say on Tesla is looking at the uncertainty rating of the company. This is an important concept when deciding if you want to buy a share. The expectations and uncertainty are related. The higher the expectations, the harder it is for the company to not slip up and fall short of those expectations, even if it still does great. The uncertainty refers to all the things that can happen that could alter the future outcome of the company. In this case, our analysts think that there's a lot of uncertainty. And he sees a number of areas of uncertainty. The first is, of course, that cars are a consumer discretionary item. means they are cyclical and follow economic cycles. People buy less cars when the economy is terrible. So if inflation keeps taking off and central banks put us into a recession with high interest rates, car sales will suffer. The other is, of course, electric vehicles, which are still a niche product globally. What if they don't catch on? And this could happen for a number of reasons. One is that they aren't able to continue to improve the operating performance and reach parity with internal combustion engines. That is why Tesla invests so much in R&D. But the other risk is that a new technology or an alternate technology catches on. One of the biggest risks is that Tesla loses its luster and other traditional automakers, which are heavily investing in electric vehicles, starts to eat into market share. And the performance of the cars certainly helps Tesla's image, but another thing that helps is the reputation Tesla has as being good for the environment and a company that represents the values of the high-end consumers that drive those cars. We need to be clear that with any brand, the quality matters, but it also matters that people want to be associated with the brand. And this is where it's worth bringing up what just happened to Tesla at the beginning of May. They were kicked out of the S&P 500 ESG index, and they were kicked out for a number of reasons, including their lack of a low-carbon strategy for their manufacturing and codes of business conduct problems. The lack of a low-carbon strategy is interesting because, once again, Tesla is a major manufacturer, and that, of course, has impacts on the environment. They settled a lawsuit with the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency in February of 2020 after years of Clean Air Act violations and for not tracking their emissions. They also ranked 22nd on last year's Toxic 100 Air Polluters Index, which is compiled by UMass Amherst. Shockingly, they came in worse than ExxonMobil, which ranked 26. And the code of conduct issues stemmed from accusations of racism at a plant in California and poor worker conditions. In a time of rising consumer focus on the ethics of companies, these issues are more and more important. And the final risk is again associated with the fact that they are a large-scale manufacturer, which doesn't tend to be great for the environment. Cars, electric or not, aren't great for the environment. The process to produce them and run them still has impacts. And there is a risk that we could collectively decide that the best way to help the environment is to have less cars. We've seen this with public transportation, but the other question is if autonomous cars take over and all of a sudden there is less of a need to have a car of your own. This means that cars would take one person to work, pick someone else up, and take them to work, and so on. All the time, that car just sits there not being used. It would instead be used by someone else. Think of shared car services on steroids. This could dramatically reduce demand for all cars. And I always thought this was great, Shani, right? That I figured the car would pick me up, and I could just sit in the back seat and go home from the pub, and I could have a couple cocktails on the way home. You literally do that now in Ubers. So. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's frowned upon and my ratings suffer. <laughs> so with the autonomous car, I would be alone and nobody would know. Yeah, let's um, move on from that. And let's finish with the true question that everyone has. Should you buy the share? Well, of course, we aren't going to answer that. You have to answer that for yourself. 
What I will say is this, that with high uncertainty, you want to have a larger margin of safety to protect yourself against any of the business risks occurring, all the risks that we just went through. At this point, while Tesla is undervalued, it hasn't reached a four or five star rating at Morningstar because we think you need a bigger margin of safety. Is getting closer to a four star share, but it would have to fall to $375 or so for it to be a five star share. And of course, you need to consider your own goals and the type of shares and investments you're comfortable with. Being comfortable with an investment is really important because that is what makes you stick with it over the long term. Any thoughts, Mark? Yeah, I mean, I think Tesla is an amazing company, but I will say it isn't really my cup of tea. I don't generally like cyclical companies. I don't like companies that don't pay a dividend. And that's unlikely anytime soon with all the money Tesla is investing to expand. And I really don't like high uncertainty companies. I just prefer predictability, but that's just me. Doesn't make it right or wrong. We've done it. We finished. This is the third one we've recorded today. Yeah, we we're on a bit of a marathon today. We've got one more. I know. I think we can do it. So we'll end <laughs> this one quickly. Anyway, hope you're enjoying Share Month. We'd love a comment. We would love a rating. Also, my email address is in the show notes. If you want to send any of those comments to me, if you want to send questions for our upcoming Q&A episode, and you can also leave us a voicemail. So disappointingly, we have gotten one voicemail, Shani. We have, yeah. Exciting. Exciting stuff. I was saying it was disappointing because it's only been one, but well, Shani, no. <laughs> Shani, Shani's excited with just one. So think how excited she would be if we had like five. I'd be very excited, pumped. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. <laughs> Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.